Thank you, Phil. Thank you, everyone, for your welcome. Good to be with you again. So if you've still got your Bibles with you, it'd be good to open at that passage, Ephesians 4, as we consider what is a regular theme that Paul, when he writes his letters to individuals and churches, so often he comes back um, to this theme that we'll be picking up on in Ephesians chapter 4. Even in some of his most theological books, um, as he gets to the end chapters, he says, right, this is how it's got to work out amongst you. Um, in my home church in Warwick, we've been looking at Romans um, for quite a few months now. And uh, next Sunday, we're in chapter 15. And uh, I've been preparing both for next Sunday and Sunday in parallel almost. And uh, he's picking up very similar themes in chapter 15. After one of the uh, deepest theological books that uh, I still don't fully comprehend myself, perhaps I should have attended a bit more, um, uh, when he gets to chapter 15, he says, right, now this is how it's going to work out. Here are some principles that you need to lay to uh, put into practice some of the things you've been learning. Um, it won't be the most profound thing that you'll ever hear from my lips, but we live in a divided world, don't we? We've touched on that a bit this morning as we've considered a Remembrance Day, and we can think of places uh, almost anywhere you put a pin on a map, not far from that point, you will find that there is conflict of one sort or another. But you don't need to go o overseas. If you look in the UK, um, there is division, there is disunity. Uh, I heard uh, a statistic that was brought out just last week about the greater divide between the north and south of this country, particularly as the economic pressure pressures grow and the disparity in house prices and job opportunities and uh, welfare, etc. There is a great division between the North and South. Living right in the heart of the Midlands, I'm never quite sure where we sit on that, uh, but I think we're perhaps in Leamington Spa, leafy, royal Leamington Spa, we're perhaps a bit more Southern than we are Northern. Uh, but certainly as you go North, you'll see um, that the uh, economic situation has had a greater impact perhaps up there than, than down here. So we live in this world where there is division, there is disunity, there where there is conflict. And sad to say, the church of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, hasn't bucked that trend, has it? The Christian faith has not got a good record when it comes to unity. At the highest level, I'm not sure if highest is the best word, but um, at one level we've got the Catholic church and the Protestant church, yes? And then if you follow down the stream that we, you, here at Abbey, might uh, track yourself to, the, um, the Protestant line of the church, the amount of divisions and subdivisions that there are in the Protestant expression of the Christian faith. And you might say, oh, but we're Bible-believing evangelicals. Have you seen some of the work that's been done on the tribes within evangelicalism? And for some reason, we have this wonderful ability, or is it a disability, to fall out with one another. I've just been reminded of this again in my hometown of Leamington Spa, where I know of a school where a church meets. And in the morning, there is a congregation. And then in the afternoon, there is another church that meets on exactly the same premises for its worship service. So Sunday morning, you've got one church. Sunday afternoon, you've got another church. Both would call themselves evangelical churches. I just wonder what the 
caretaker of that school thinks. As he or she, I'm not sure, sets out the chairs for the morning service and then perhaps slightly rearranges them for the preference in the afternoon, if they ever stand at the back and say, they're singing exactly the same songs. They're reading from the same book. And what I hear the preacher say is it's very similar. No wonder the world looks on and goes, hmm, what about you then when it comes to unity? But I wonder what God thinks as he looks on and sees his people divided in such a way. And really, I find that this passage here is a challenge to God's people to be different. To be united. Isn't that the theme? Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you look through this passage and onto the verses that we'll read in a few moments' time, you'll see the words and the pictures that are used there to describe the unity that God's people should have. The word unity is just used on two occasions, but the word one, to be one, is used on 11 occasions. The picture of the body is used on four occasions, and we know that Paul expands that in other letters that he wrote to the church about the importance of the body. So this is the theme of these verses. Unity amongst God's people. Diversity is acknowledged because you have the different gifts that are expressed and you have the different body parts that Paul explains in verse 16. You have the different characters later on in verses 25 to 28. So he acknowledges that there is great potential here for conflict when you've got a diversity of gifts and personality traits and you've got the different body parts. And you remember, those of you who know, when he talks about the body in Corinthians, you know, how the, does the ear speak to the nose and say, I've got no need for you. You know, I can hear better than you can smell and all that sort of stuff. There's great potential for conflict amongst God's people because there is such diversity. But in the heart of that, acknowledging the difference and the diversity amongst God's people, the call is be different, still be united despite your differences. And as you at Abbey continue to move on into a different phase of your church life as the project develops, and hopefully one day you will move (laughs) to a building of your own, the potential for disunity will grow. It really will. Angela and I were just speaking about a church that we know in in our neck of the woods. You, You wouldn't be aware of this situation where they too are looking for a major building project and they've had the plans drawn up and they've got quite substantial funds for these uh, for the building and yet I know of one leader in the church who says that if we go ahead with this project I'm leaving and another leader has said if we go if we don't go ahead with this project I'm leaving and so as the church desperately wonders well how do we deal with this disunity will result And so that's why Paul says, be different. And you might say, Ivor, but isn't this a council of perfection? We live in a broken world and the church is is not perfect. Well, it may be a council of perfection, but I'm still going to proclaim it because in verse 3 it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
And so often it's the secondary thing, it's the smaller things. And frankly, the building of a church is smaller than the call for unity. The call for God's people to be united is an incredibly strong call. So why is unity so important amongst God's people? Well, I think there are a number of indicators here in this passage. Unity amongst God's people is important because it is in the very character of God. Verses 4 to 6. One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. It's part of his, I'm not sure whether God has got DNA, I don't think he has, but you understand what I mean if I say that unity is part of God's DNA. It's part of what he is. We believe in one God, who expresses himself in three ways. The person of the Father, the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit. So we have diversity in the Godhead, but one God. We have diversity, therefore, in all the way that God works and in the way that God created. Right back at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27, we have that great phrase where, It is stated, God says, let us make man in our image. So we've got plurality there straight away. God, who is one, says, let us make man in our own image. And so God makes man in his own image, male and female. Diversity, but one. God has made a universe. Uni, one. Verse. Many. Somebody has said that the description of the universe is a harmonious whole. It's part of God's character for there to be unity, but acknowledging that there's diversity there. And of course, this shows us the significance of sin coming into the world. Because what does sin do? Sin separates. It divides. It splits up. It breaks up God's design. Those who are made in his image to be one with him are disunited from him because of sin. So you see how unity is at the very heart of God's character, the very heart of what God makes and how he works. And Jesus expresses this conundrum, and it really is a conundrum because we can't always get our minds around it, about the diversity and the unity, but he expresses this in his great high priestly prayer for you and for me in John chapter 17, where he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, brothers and sisters, when we fall out, when we argue and those disputes cause division, we are denying God's character. We're going against the very character of God. So unity is in the character of God. That's what Paul is saying here. And unity, of course, is therefore the goal of the gospel. That's why God sent his son Jesus to restore the consequences of sin that disunited people from each other and disunited human beings from himself. 
Our gospel is a message of reconciliation, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says that Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. And earlier on you'd have found this yourself in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He's referring there to the Jews and the Gentiles. No longer any difference. The gospel unites people because they are also united to God. So as we proclaim a message of reconciliation, let's not be hypocritical in the way that we act by being disunited as God's people. The world does have a valid objection if it looks on and says, but what about you? What about the divisions I see amongst you? Because the goal of the gospel is unity between his people and between his people and himself. Verse 13 says this, until we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. It's a sign of maturity amongst God's people that they discover this truth of being united yet still acknowledging the diversity that there is amongst God's people. So how is it achieved? How is it truly possible, therefore, for God's people to be united? Well, let's just read from verse 17, and it gives us a few clues there, but also in the passage that we've read earlier on. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So how is unity uh, restored? How is it maintained? Well, frankly, I think we see from those verses and the verses we read, verses 1 through to 16, we see that it starts with me. 
It starts with me. I am responsible for this. Most disputes, most divisions amongst God's people are not to do with doctrinal niceties. I know that sometimes God's people can fall out over points of theology, but it is rarely that. We might dress it up in some sort of spiritual language, but in the end, it's chemistry (laughs) that we don't get on with someone. Brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to make sure that our chemistry is right, that we are sorted. And so it starts with my heart, with my emotions. It starts deep within me. That's why in verse 2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Don't you see some traces of the fruit of the Holy Spirit there? And isn't it sad that over the years, um, in my youth, it was the work and the person of the Holy Spirit that caused so much division amongst God's people. And I now realize that if we'd have perhaps concentrated far more on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, well, perhaps some of those divisions would not have taken place. If I'd allowed God, through his Holy Spirit, to produce humbleness and patience, and to bear with one another in love. Perhaps there wouldn't have been those those divisions. Also, this fruit here comes as a result of experience. As we mature, as we grow, these are some of the fruits that should appear. Frankly, this is being like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And when he picks up this theme when talking to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, where he's saying exactly the same things, the importance of unity amongst God's people, he has got that great hymn of praise. You know, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but let go of it, became humble, humbled himself, became a servant, suffered death, even death on the cross. You know the passage? Well, that great hymn of praise is really just an example to us, that we should be one, we should be united. You should have the same mind, preferring one another. It starts in here, with you, with your attitude. I use in my own personal quiet times uh, the um, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest uh, studies. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with that. And um, he... uh, He has a phrase that he repeats time and time again, which I find fascinating. And I only discovered, after I'd read it a few times, what he was getting at. When Oswald Chambers wrote these devotions, although it was actually his wife who put them together as a devotional study aid, um, they were, first of all, lectures to students who were going into Christian ministry. And they were devotions to help people who were stepping out into full-time Christian work. So he would talk a lot about the ministry, the ministry. And then he picked up on this phrase of the importance of the ministry of the interior. The ministry of the interior. And I thought, what's he talking about there? And he was talking about the inner life. And he says, you might be going to do some great ministry for God overseas or perhaps in this country, but you've got to get the ministry of the interior right if you really want to serve God. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you want to be united, it starts in here. It starts in here. Too quickly, we will see the fault in others. I want to point the finger, and that's where the division starts. Paul says, no, it starts inside. It starts in your heart. Determine 
to take up these characteristics. Come before God. Ask his Holy Spirit to produce these fruits in you, to be completely humble and gentle and patient. These are not signs of weakness. These are signs of being like Christ. So it starts with my heart. It starts in me. And then in verse 23, do you see how it affects our minds as well? He says, talks there about being made new by the attitude of your minds. And he contrasts this with the minds of unbelievers, the minds of Gentiles in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Our minds need to be transformed. God needs to do something in here as well as in here to change our attitude. And how is that done? Well, verse 21, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. It's to do with the truth. It's to do with good teaching. It's as the word of God transforms our minds. I'm getting so increasingly convinced that the way that God's people are changed is through the application of God's word in their lives. It's the tool that God uses. It's the tool that the Holy Spirit uses. is God's word to transform minds. So if you have a mind that's full of sensuality and impurity and lust, as the Gentiles are described here in these verses, well, then you are ripe to cause division amongst God's people. But if you have a new mind that is like God's, that's being transformed by the word of God, then you have God's desires and God's desires for unity amongst his people. So God, change my heart. God, through your word, change my mind. And then it will start to affect the way that you live. And verses 25 to 28, very simple truths here. My actions will change. There, each of you, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. See, it's coming back to this unity thing. That if you're lying to each other, how can you expect to have unity? If you're angry with one another, how can you expect to have unity? If you're stealing from one another, how can you expect to have unity? It's going to affect the words that you speak going to affect the way that you treat one another. I like the balance here that Paul brings between don't do this, and so much of our Christianity is you don't do this. He says don't do this, but do this instead. It's not just the negative don'ts, but the positives do put these in place. And so often we're good at the don'ts, but we don't do the do's. Paul says that you don't do this any longer, but you do this Instead, so don't lie, speak the truth. Don't steal, but work hard. In other words, act differently. Be different. As your heart is transformed, as your mind is transformed, then your actions will be transformed as well. And then there will be less room for disunity. So living as children of the light dispels the darkness. 
So as God's people, be different. See if you can buck the trend that has been going on for hundreds of years amongst God's people to so quickly, so, so easily to fall out with one another. Determine, make it a priority to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And as you acknowledge the differences and the diversity that God has given you in gifting and character, make sure that the purpose of those gifts, and, and that's the purpose of the gifts of the apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, is to make sure that God's people stay together as those gifts are expressed and acknowledged. Make sure that unity is the goal because the purpose of each gift, the task of every individual is to build the body, to reach unity, to become mature, and to attain the fullness in Christ. May God teach us, may God challenge us through his word. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> and Father, as in just a few moments, as we share bread, as we drink the wine, we are reminded here in this symbol of one body being broken for us and our unity through that sacrifice. So help us as we take the bread, not to deny in our thoughts or our words, our actions, the unity that you have brought us to. Help us do everything to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace to your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.